Welcome to the Gaggle Podcast, where we bring you inside the newsroom to talk Arizona politics beyond what's in print. I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez, a national reporter at the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. Joining me this week at the Arizona Republic's main newsroom in downtown Phoenix are Maria Paletta, I cover the governor's office and state agencies. Ron Hansen, I cover the congressional delegation. Richard Rellis, I'm a reporter covering sort of the voter end of politics. Russ Wiles, business and personal finance. This week on The Gaggle, Arizona's economy is humming along, enjoying almost the same kind of growth the U.S. has posted nationally. Unemployment numbers are looking good, but it's not being equally felt. Rural areas continue to lag, and many Arizonans are still living paycheck to paycheck. Russ, you've been covering business in Arizona's economy for more than 20 years. Can you give us your assessment of how we are faring? Well, I think the Arizona economy is following the national economy, and the national economy is doing well. And if you uh, believe that the second, latest second quarter GDP numbers are sustainable, we are probably going to be ratcheting up or kicking up the growth a little bit. That means Arizona will follow suit. Arizona has been making progress in a lot of ways. Uh, we're not quite to the national level in terms of like unemployment. We're a little bit higher. But uh, we've been making some progress. And, uh, for example, personal income, we're one of the top five states now uh, for in- personal income growth. Doesn't mean we're at the top of the list in terms of personal income. And that's been one of the criticisms for Arizona. A lot of our, the jobs we do bring in tend to pay a little bit less. But I'd, I'd say the momentum is there. We're making, we're making some, uh, some gains. On a psychological, I guess, basis, and I know that you don't have a degree in that, but uh, understanding how people feel and how their emotions change at, during times of economic growth or downturn. Can you give us a sense of, generally speaking, how people are feeling these days? Well, those numbers would be at the national level. We don't really track them at the Arizona level. But, uh, you know, consumers are feeling better. Sentiment readings are up. Uh, bankruptcies are down. Foreclosures are down. 401k balances. The nation's median personal income just topped 100000 dollars for, I think, the first time. So people are feeling better. Jobs are relatively plentiful. Uh, that doesn't mean all the you know economic and personal finance problems out there are solved. Far from it. In fact, uh, there's still a, a lot of evidence that a good uh, chunk of the population, maybe four in 10, are living paycheck to paycheck. But generally, um, the economy is doing well. And relatively speaking, people are feeling better than you know a few years ago. So they might not necessarily be looking for someone to blame heading into this year's elections. Well, I don't know if I'd go that far, but let's put it this way. The economy is not a, I don't think, a front burner uh, problem issue right now. I mean, the economy is in pretty good shape. There, there are other issues uh, that the electorate will be focused on, but the economy is doing well right now. Yeah, and so far, it seems like Governor Doug Ducey, with his, the ad that just came out on television this week, seems to be wanting to make it about the growth of jobs, how we inherited this, this awful economy, and that now the jobs are rowing back. And, of course, the governor doesn't create jobs, but it creates the environment where jobs can be created. And trying to keep you sticking with this horse that he's here to, as he puts it, secure this economy. Uh, at the same time, the Republican Governors Association has anti-David Garcia ads out that essentially say if we pick this guy, he'll take us down a track of uh, socialized medicine and, and border security being taken away that will take us off track. Maria, you have been digging into uh, Ducey's campaign pitch, which I have to say, we did just see his first ad. And it is pretty basic. I mean, he could have written this ad 
back in 2015, right, during his first year uh, as as governor. And I say basic in the context of no mix-ins. <laughs> a Coldstone reference. Nice. Coldstone creamery. Um, but he seems to be trying to give the impression to, to people that he has a steady hand, that uh, this is something they shouldn't have to worry about, that families should feel safe and secure and shouldn't have to really worry about their, their pocketbooks or their bank accounts. Can you give us a sense of uh, what his campaign material looks like and what uh, he might be telling voters as he's meeting with them one by one? Right, you're absolutely right. He's really focusing on the economic outlook, um, pointing to national studies and rankings that say Arizona is the number five, you know, has the number five best economic outlook in the nation, um, number five also in the nation for economic momentum. Um, he's falling on these big name businesses, Apple, Raytheon, Caterpillar, trying to talk about, um, as Richard was saying, you know, maybe he didn't create the jobs, but he created the environment where uh, big name companies are either coming or expanding um, or adding jobs. So he, he is definitely focused on that. Yeah, and Ducey has been traveling to rural parts of Arizona. He was in Kingman this past week, gave a interview to the Kingman Daily Miner. I have to admit I was a little bit jealous because we've been asking for one here for a while. But he did talk about like the need for infrastructure there. And he, he touted how we're going to build Interstate 11 and you know we're not going to leave Kingman out of the state's economy. But growth, as, as Russ had mentioned, and Russ has done stories on this, as might have, you know, Tucson and rural Arizona hasn't seen the kind of rebound. Uh, he might be facing more of those types of questions as he travels the rural parts of the state. Can you give us a sense, I mean, Maria, before moving over to the governor's beat, you covered communities affected by poverty, vulnerable populations. Can you give us a sense of, one, how these people are feeling? I mean, they're always being talked at and talked about, but how were they really feeling about, you know, their day-to-day -day lives living paycheck to paycheck. Right. Um, some of these campaign messages about prosperity, great economic outlook, um, are not really resonating for, you know, the nearly 18% of Arizonans who are still living in poverty. Uh, one in four, you know, Arizona children, we have a very high poverty rate, um, high rate of people living with hunger. Um, so there is a good uh, portion of the state that is, I guess, uncomfortable, that is not seeing that level of prosperity. And, and just as Richard was saying, there is a big divide in terms of the situation, you know, in Maricopa County um, versus the more rural counties, of course, you know, reservations land, that sort of thing. I want to go back to just sort of the overall climate here for Arizona economically, because I think that clearly the state is doing well now, certainly better than it was five years ago or whatever period you want to look at. But for a reality check on some of this, it's important to know that while we've seen a lot of wage growth, the fact is that that wage growth seems to coincide pretty nicely with the growth in the minimum wage, something that the governor was not a big fan of. And also, when you look at the wage growth, we're still pretty well below the line in terms of where the national income levels are. We're getting better, but it's hard to argue that we've even really closed the gap. And it's arguable whether there's any policies that are even likely to move the needle on that that we've seen. The governor has talked a lot, for example, about the tax climate and has been a big proponent of tax cuts. To this point, the tax cuts have, that he has been responsible for are pretty minuscule. And, you know, the biggest one of recent vintage is the 2011 tax cut under Governor Brewer 
that has arguably brought in more jobs, but it's also clearly drained the general fund. Just as an economic matter, I mean, Arizona is doing good and better, but it's hard to disentangle our performance from the national climate in many ways. And if there is anything special going on, it really seems like it's been marginal and and hard to attribute to anything that the governor has done. Yeah, I mean, Arizona's always had this criticism of... uh of only being an attractant for low-wage jobs or the quality of the jobs not being low. I mean, are we seeing good jobs come here, or are we seeing, Russ, uh, jobs coming from California fleeing those regulatory markets? I wouldn't say on a broad scale. We're 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 making some gains. Uh, Example, to mention Tucson, they've been behind the curve in terms of economic catch-up. They recently did an expansion, got an expansion from Caterpillar, Raytheon. Those would be two examples of probably better-paying engineering jobs. They also have a new warehouse from Amazon. That's probably not going to be the highest-paying jobs. So it's it's hit hit or miss. You know, it's interesting that Arizona has been gaining jobs. We've been attracting more companies. We weren't in the a finalist for Amazon's HQ2, their second headquarters, which I think is really the litmus test for really good economic development environments. That might be kind of unfair because I, th- I believe only Los Angeles was in the far west. Maybe their Amazon is looking for a far eastern location, but we don't seem to be at the very top net echelon for attracting these corporate expansions and relocations infrequently as they come. I have to point out that from 2015, 16, 17, up until this year, the governor largely focused his big press events, his big business rollouts on these innovative type companies like Theranos. We saw what happened there. Uh, The sharing economy, Airbnb, Uber. How is he speaking about the innovative sharing economy as he moves forward during this election cycle, where clearly this is an area that he is extraordinarily vulnerable on. Well, I can give one example. I can speak to Uber, and then maybe, Richard, you can help flesh that out. Um, Uber, he is really painting that. He sort of has this framing uh, of a public safety narrative where he's saying, you know, yes, we did have this fiasco, essentially, Um, very uh, negative reaction to that. But, you know, he says there are tons of deaths related to regular car accidents. And so we're trying to balance these competing interests of innovation and safety. And at some point, I mean, uh, innovation comes with risk. Yeah, he still, and this was in the Republic's uh, editorial board meeting that they were nice enough to invite us to attend. He still talked about Arizona leading the way in the self-driving car movement, and he didn't really address the Theranos thing, but he still sees Arizona as a place that because of our allowances, (laughs) I guess, lack of strict regulations, we are more inviting to innovative companies. That's at least the argument he's putting out. If you're talking about self-driving cars, I'd just like to throw in a little bit on Waymo. They had a couple announcements last week, and it sounds like the Southeast Valley, particularly the Chandler Awatuki Tempe area is a really focal point for them. They announced a partnership, a grocery delivery pickup service with a Walmart store, with Awatuki Foothills Town and Country Shopping Center, or whatever it's called. Also, a deal with Auto Nation down there and Budget Avis. So, that area of the city might be emerging as a hotspot for driverless cars. When it comes to these types of jobs that come along with the sharing economy, the Ubers, the Lyfts, etc., how does that affect? 
Arizona's economy in a meaningful way, or or does it really? Well, I would just say that the gig economy uh, surveys have shown that's a, a growing part of the national economy. I don't think we're exceptional there, but I've, I've sort of like one out of three people have a, a part-time job, and partly it's to make ends meet, but it's also, I think, uh, you know, some people like the flexibility and the independence of being their own boss. But I think the primary driver is primarily to, you know, to, to pick up extra income here and there. Right, but it's not like a good... It's not like a, a great paying. It's not like an engineer at Raytheon. And then again, if self-driving cars come along, I don't know what happens to the mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the Uber driver or the Lyft driver. Not a lot of prosperity there for all of us, huh? Well, it just points to the broader picture I'm, I'm just talking about, about more flexible, independent, self-employed types of jobs, whether they're driving around driverless cars or something else entirely. And do CEOs talk about coming here because of a, a lack of regulation or a, a climate that allows people to, to grow? I haven't really heard that. Anyone else? Well, actually, I mean, I heard the opposite. <laughs> they, they invited us, both of us were at a, a news conference where they were bringing a California tech company in to start sort of a, a smaller farm here. And the CEO, I asked him, compare California's economy or business climate to Arizona's business climate. And apparently he didn't get the memo because he said, California is a great place to do business. One of the things that those CEOs care very deeply about is the state of Arizona's education system and whether or not their workers can get quality education in the public school systems. And that is something that Ducey's aware of. That's something his rivals tried to, in 2014, make a lot of hay with, successfully so, I think. And and that helped put the education funding issue to the front and center of that cycle. What about the Democrats' ideas? How are they positioning themselves on how they are going to maybe accelerate the outlook here in Arizona or help some of these people who may be having a tough time making ends meet. There's a lot of talk, I mean, at least some from, uh, Kelly Fryer is talking about uh, investments in rural Arizona, small business. Steve Farley's talking about a broadened uh, but lowered tax rate. And they're, they're all talking about improving the education system. David Garcia believes that if he wins, it, it erases essentially the anti-immigrant reputation the state had. And maybe that SB 1070, you know, every time Arizona makes the national news for a bad thing, if we were on the Daily Show all those years, or we pass something like SB 1070 and suddenly national artists are are boycotting us or writing songs about Arizona, it it stings a bit. And maybe in some meeting room at Amazon, they say, we can't go to Arizona because people still think of them as as an anti-immigrant backwater. So the thought is that that improving the reputation of Arizona, improving the public education of Arizona would lift us out of whatever doldrums we're in. Ron, you covered the federal tax cut legislation uh, from last year. This uh, came from Republicans that continue to talk about it. Um, some of us may be seeing the results of those tax cuts in our paychecks. How are these candidates um, talking about about that legislation and, and how are they positioning it as either not enough or a point on the board? It depends on who you're talking about and when is the the short answer. It looks like Republicans now are really trying to lean in hard on those tax cuts. This is the major legislative accomplishment of the Trump administration at this point, and they need to have this be seen more widely as a positive in the public and in voters' minds in particular. So Republicans these days are really trying to raise this issue and and point to all the economic good news and say, well, you know, this is uh, what happens when we do major uh, tax cutting as we've done uh, in the Trump era. 
the Democrats really aren't disputing that the economy is doing well. There's uh, some um, dispute as to you know what more should be done. Some Democrats, for example, would like to say, oh, we want the you know the tax cuts for individuals to be uh, made permanent, or they would rather see uh, some aspects of the Trump tax cuts re- rolled back. But uh, on the whole, this has been an issue that really hasn't gotten uh, substantial traction in the public's mind. And that's probably the way the Democrats like it. Yeah, on the ground, voters don't seem to be talking too, too much about this, I have to say. I mean, on the Republican side, border security, illegal immigration is sucking up all of the air. And on the Democratic side, you know, it's child migrant issues or health care. So I suspect it will stay that way at least until after the primary. For our final segment, we bring you Spill the Tea. We promised some pretty strong tea this week because we didn't have any last week. Um, We had some candidates in uh, to meet before the editorial board, which operates independently from the newsroom, but occasionally they will invite reporters in to uh, sit in on uh, debates between candidates. And uh, Maria and Richard, you got to sit in with the Republican debate with uh, Governor Doug Ducey and his challenger, former Secretary of State Ken Bennett. Take us into the room. Yeah, I mean, this wasn't supposed to happen. Actually, I didn't even know Ken Bennett was accepting the invitation until he walked in the room. I thought it was just going to be uh, Governor Ducey meeting with the editorial board. So I was pretty shocked to see him in there. The, the two men, uh, Ducey had said he wouldn't debate Ken Bennett over some of the things uh, Ken Bennett had said about uh, the possible vacant seat from uh, of Senator John McCain's passing. Um, so I, I was surprised to see him actually be in the same room at the same time. I would say that the uh, vibe in there was not super warm, Um, and I know, Richard, you covered this, and I think you described it as sparring, uh, which I think was accurate. There was a lot of back and forth, and let me jump in and correct those inaccuracies, um, arguments over debt amounts, uh, education, almost every topic. Yeah, but, but it was almost still a little, they shook hands, it was warmer than I had expected, and I imagine, I mean, I expected fireworks out of Ward and McSally meeting for the. Well, meeting. I have to ask. Going sure. back to the to the meeting with Ducey and Bennett, I've seen Ducey fired up, and I've seen Bennett fired up. These guys ran against each other in 2014. Were there any red faces in there? No, it was all fairly calm. They did politely disagree over some facts and figures. But there was no, I mean, I've seen Ducey get a little huffy. I would huffy say there was some forceful disagreement, but I would not say red faces, no yelling, anything extreme like that. <gasps> Man. <laughs> Sorry, Yvonne. <laughs> so tell us about Ward's and, and McSally's red faces. I, I don't know that there were necessarily red faces. There were a couple of one-liners there where it was, it was uh, clear that Ward, I think, was really working hard to try to get under McSally's. Uh, skin and at one point McSally just looked at Ward and said look I, I'm not going to take the bait. Uh, she, Ward called her a, a trained killer and she was a trained healer you know Ward is a physician and um, problem solver I think. Problem solver a healer and a problem solver. Um, McSally is a uh, retired Air Force uh, combat pilot so she seemed to be taking aim at, at her professional credentials, which was um, really interesting to watch. What were your takeaways? Just judging the body language and, and the interactions that they had, it really felt like 
Congresswoman McSally was rather dismissive of Kelly Ward. Um, she didn't really spend a lot of time looking at her and certainly didn't engage her in conversation. She gave her answers and seemed content to leave it there. Uh, Dr. Ward seemed to look over at, at Martha McSally a, a bit more, wanted to uh, make it more personal in terms of some of these exchanges. Uh, I don't think either one of them really, you know, uh, clawed hard into the other, but it was just, uh, you could tell neither one of them was a big fan of the other. But I do have to give them props because at least they showed up. Sheriff That's right. Joe Arpaio, or former Sheriff Joe Arpaio, did not. Now, that said, um, Dr. Ward made it clear she would like to have more debates and would like to have something televised, more publicly broadcast, and uh, Martha McSally pretty much made it clear this is it. This is the one and only debate we're going to see in this primary. Yeah, there are seven people in this room, and you all can take this on-the-record information and handle it from here. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to The Gaggle Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Yvonne Winget. Maria Poletta at M. Poletta, M-P-O-L-L-E-T-T-A. You can follow me at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. At Relis Writings, R-U-E-L-A-S Writings. And for your economic news, it's at AZ Money News. Thanks to the politics team and also our new producer who joins us, Lauren Aguirre. Welcome. Please subscribe to the show and review it on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Google Play. See you next week.